正在收听。In the corner, back by the wood pile. 博客。I'm Spung Counter Guy. Thanks for coming by, and welcome to another edition of the Dao of Dao. My guest today is Dr. Olivia Cohn, a giant of a China scholar, specializing in Taoist studies. She's written, edited, and translated over 35 books. Manages Three Pines Press, leads workshops, is the executive editor of the Journal of Taoist Studies, and organizes international conferences, all dealing with the various aspects of Taoist studies. So let's get to it. Uh, folks that have listened to the first podcast I did, the Dao of Dao, me and my、uh, student Megan had talked about the difference between Dao Jiao and Dao Jia, and you were telling me about a third aspect of Taoism. Yes, it's、um, I call it the、um, the health dimension, or the the Chinese is Yangsheng, which means nourishing life. It's sort of the cultivation dimension. And there, there's a lot of people who who come into Taoism not because they read any philosophical texts or because they become members of an organized sect, but because they start practicing something. So, like people who, and often it's it's predicated by illness, so they have a problem in their health and nothing else works, and then they start doing qigong or they start doing tai chi chuan or some kind of breathing exercises, and then say, oh my god, you know this really works, and they learn about qi, which is really the the vital force or life energy, which is at the basis of Chinese cosmology, but it's also at the core basis of Taoism. Everything we do is about qi. And once they learn about qi, they say, "Well, how does that work?" And they learn a little bit more about Chinese medicine, and then they get into Taoism. And so they're coming from the cultivation perspective, and that's a very traditional thing to do. We have、um, very ancient texts that talk about cultivation and talk about working with qi and breathing exercises, and and it goes into physical exercises,、um, meditation things,、um, the whole complex of feng shui, how you. Your furniture and your house,、um, so it's sort of energy management in a in a greater sense, and so they're coming at it from the very practical side of how can it change my personal life, as opposed to the high level philosophy,、um, you know, what is Tao and how can I think about the universe or the community and the ritual dimension. In the Western world, we tend to pick and choose. Everything you know, we're very consumer culture, even in our religion and our philosophy. Do you find sometimes people will、uh, embrace one part of Taoism, maybe the cultivation, but will say, "Ah, you know, the philosophy is not for me." That's right. Yeah, and that's that's both traditional. Taoism has been very eclectic over the years, and it's more difficult. And in comparison to other religion, it's very difficult to pin down. I mean, and we've had many academic discussions and entire conferences on the Taoist and what is the Taoist. And I've been where people who are Americans, practitioners, who are more、um, like in the organized religion dimension, who wear you know the hats and the outfits and do their rituals,、um, having a discussion with people who do Tai Chi and accusing each other, you're not a Taoist. Oh wow. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it gets really intense. So I guess denominationism is everywhere, huh? Right, exactly. <laughs> and but the bottom line is, I mean, we've had conferences about it, and and the bottom line is, is anybody who calls himself Dallas is a Dallas, and there are, as you said, people who have you know absolutely no interest in community orientation and fancy rituals, who don't want to do philosophy and who really just are in the practice, but they feel they're connecting to Tao, and that's it. People's vitality always comes from being straight and upright. It is always lost due to joy, anger, worry, and resentment. To stop anger, nothing beats poetry. To stop worry, nothing beats music. To choose the right music, the best, best way is by propriety. To maintain propriety, the best way is through respect. To cultivate respect, the best way is stillness. Being still within and respectful without, you can recover your true inner nature. By resting in your inner nature, you find your greatest ability. A source book in Chinese longevity. Then you mentioned there's a lot of ancient texts about uh, Taoist cultivation and health, and, and you've written several books on the subject. H how did you go about approaching the subject? I started learning Chinese um, in the 70s, and I, I went to school, and I went to China and Taiwan, and I you know, did a PhD in Chinese, and then I started to specialize in Tao studies and nothing, absolutely nothing was translated at the time and my work is to translate a lot. That's, that's great. I know any language it's hard to translate into English because sometimes there's no English words for maybe a certain Chinese concept. Uh, so t tell me about some of the difficulties I guess that you had. Um, well, it's it's important as a translator. You you can't just take um, a dictionary and and a piece of and a text that's on a piece of paper. I mean, you really have to immerse yourself in the culture. And so, for me, being a practitioner has been very important. And I started Tai Chi in the mid seventies and did a lot of qigong and then got into meditations. And so it, it, it happens, you, you read one of these texts and they talk about certain practices and you try to do them and it's like, that doesn't work. And then you sort of, you know, especially it's like physical exercises, you know, it's like put your left arm behind your right buttock. I mean, it just doesn't <laughs> work. And it's like, so right. you try to work on this, then the more philosophical or, or meditation type texts, it's, it's, I've noticed that as my own practice, um, advanced, I was reading text differently, and it's like, oh yeah, now I know what this means. Um, so, so you really have to get yourself immersed in the culture, and then you have to get a sense of what it feels to you. I mean, there's a literal level of translation where you just take the words and throw them into English words, which, you know, Google can do these days. Mm -hmm. But then you have to go and actually understand what it is all about and you have to make it into something that's culturally acceptable in, in the, in the English-speaking world. So, yeah, so it's a, it's a process. Can you give maybe one example? I, I, I know when I was living in China, if someone asked you how you were doing and you wanted to say you were just all right, you could say ma ma ho ho, which literally means horse, horse, tiger, tiger. And of course, too, if you translate that literally, it would make no sense to English-speaking people. But to Chinese, there's a big story there about catching 
uh, horses and tigers. So can you give an example, maybe some uh, something in the text that may would not translate directly? But when you translate it with all the meaning, it just gives it much more richness. Let me give you one example. There, there's some. There's a stage in in the meditation procedure which is called Tai Ding, and Tai there are different ways of writing this character, and Ding just means stability. So we don't have a problem with Ding. Um, but Tai can be just great. It can just be you know it's, it's the same Tai as for Taishan, which is the eastern mountain. And there's a simple way of writing the character in a more complex way. And in this particular text, it's written in a complex way. And so you can translate and say, okay, that's great stability. And then you go back, and the same term occurs in the ancient texts, like in the philosophy texts of Zhuangzi, and you read this, it's like great serenity, and different people translate differently. And then you start digging a little bit deeper, and then you realize that this word Tai is actually a word for peace. And now peace in the Chinese tradition, there's three different words for peace. And again, this is another one that I could give you an example. We just say peace. They have three different words. Mm. And the, the most basic one is an, which is um, a classic example that's often uh, cited um, when people talk about Chinese character. The character shows a woman under a roof. And so it's like, well, if the woman is at home in her house, then, you know, the world is at peace. It's nice. <laughs> so, so that's like on with your personal, private, kind of at home kind of peace. And then there's another word for peace. And like in great peace, the great peace movement, it's Taiping, which is ping. And the word ping is like two horizontal lines and a vertical line and two dots. And it literally means level, flat, even. Peace, in a sense, is like a level, a status quo, you know, no upheaval. Things are just moving along very nicely. It's all flat and level. And that's political peace. And then you get Tai, and Tai is like this very complex character and with multiple lines and water underneath it and all kinds of different layers and water. It means cosmic peace. It's a dimension where the universe is in harmony, where all the different levels are flowing together like water. And so now you go back and you read this meditation text and you look at Tai Ding and it's like, oh my God, it's not just being stable and not moving. It's not just great deep concentration and big stability. It is like the stability of cosmic peace. It's like you're settled in the greater cosmos. That's great. Yeah. I want to get to, I guess, one of the obvious questions. There's always this argument between, even in China, between traditional medicine and then modern medicine. Do you feel that those two worlds can live in conjunction? Yes, well, they do. I mean, a lot of people in, in practice do. Um, and and the, the common thing both here and in China for most people is that they have some kind of a symptom. Um, let's say they have a headache or they have some stomach issues. And they go to their Western doctor and they get some kind of a prescription which puts chemicals in their bodies. And it gives them alleviation, but it really just treats the symptoms. And so and sometimes it gets better because their life changes and okay. 
so they're fine. But then if it doesn't get better, they look for other things, and then they go to these alternative practitioners, which include acupuncturists and other people like that. Um, and then it's not just your headache. It's not headache doesn't equal headache, because these people look, and they don't give you just a prescription. They say, okay, well, where exactly is this headache coming from? So there's like five different headaches of five different pictures, because one comes from the neck, the other comes from the sinuses, the third comes from overwork, the fourth comes from digestion, and, and the other one is whatever. So, so they go actually look at the whole pattern that underlies the development of this particular symptom. So they look at the whole complex. And then the treatment is accordingly more differentiated. They look, go to the root and they get rid of it. And But then a lot of times it means that you have to change your lifestyle. Mm. So if it turns out it's, you know, a, a stress-related thing, well, you've got to start doing some relaxation things. So if it's a diet-related thing, you have to change what you eat. And a lot of people in the modern world, they don't want to do any of this. They just want to take their pills. And then, of course, there's now there's like another level of medicine, which is a more... Um, quantum-based energy medicine, which is things like, I don't know if you've heard of these things, like EFT, emotional freedom technique. Uh, no. No, those are tapping techniques where you just essentially, in biomedicine, you take chemicals. It's a chemical reaction in the body or do the surgery. So it's like a very mechanical thing. In acupuncture and alternative medicines type like that, massages and stuff, you use electromagnetic forces that run through the body and you manipulate those, and you enhance the energy flow in the body. It's still a mechanical view, but it's more subtle, because you're not using chemicals and physical force. You're using energy um, that flows. Mm. But then there's this next thing we call energy psychology or um, information medicine is the technical term for it. And you just start talking to your energy. You just say, okay, you know, well, um, headache, I appreciate that you're giving me the signal that something is wrong. So let me just sort of relax and see and let my body talk to me. And then you appreciate your body for what it does and you start talking to it. And you move your energy around with your own mind. And it works. It's much more efficient, much faster. Again, it depends on how healthy you want to be. And a lot of the people in, in the Western world don't really want to be healthy. They want to live in their particular niche and eat all their junk food and have their stressful lives. And if the symptoms get too bad, they want to take a pill to keep them under control. And so those people will never go to acupuncture because it requires you to make changes. And then if you want to go to acupuncture, then you get your health to the next level where you really feel you know, you're, you're in good shape and your weight is right and your energy is right and you're feeling very good. Um, and, and then you start also doing some of the longevity techniques that are part of the Taoist tradition, the Qigong and the Tai Chi, and you make sure your furniture and feng shui is arranged right. You become, there's a whole energy awareness that comes. And then if you want to go to the next level where you really start to control your energy, then you move into the more, more very advanced, which, which goes beyond the Chinese system. As regards the body, Sun Simiao further specifies that one should nurture one's spirit by maintaining an attitude of awe and care. Awe and care as Jing Kui Lu always says, 
are the gateway of life and death, the key to rights and good teaching, the cause of existing and perishing, the root of good and bad fortune, as well as the prime source of all auspicious and inauspicious, a source book in Chinese longevity. How did you personally discover Taoism? At the university, I took a class by a professor. Um, that was at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. I was in Chinese studies. I was fascinated with Chinese culture and Chinese religion. And I was a student at the University of California at Berkeley. And my professor there, Edward Schaefer, he was a literature professor who over many years of studying medieval Chinese literature, discovered that he couldn't really understand it unless he knew a lot about Taoism. And in those days, there were no real training, and so he really taught himself. But then he started to teach Taoism in classes, and I took two of his classes, and that got me started. Can you talk about some of your uh, adventures that you've been to China several times and doing all this research? For people that may not be aware, during the Chairman Mao years, a lot of traditional books and culture were destroyed. H how did you go to find uh, these original sources on Taoist cultivation? Well, I, I didn't go to China until after that communist era was over. My first visit was in 1986, and since the 90s, um, since I've Things have been in pretty good shape. Before that, I went to Japan, where a lot of the books and studies had ended up. And there were quite a few um, international um, religious research centers that used to be in Beijing and Shanghai. And then once the communists took over, they all decamped and moved. So I lived in Japan for 10 years total, and I did a lot of research over there. And the, all these texts are in, in ancient collections. It's just a matter of the library owning the collections. And our main collection for Taoism was uh, something called the Taoist Canon. Consists of about 1,500 ancient texts and the the main canon was um, published in 1445, so it collects a lot of ancient materials. And then there's various supplements, there's one from 1601, and then there's one from the early 20th century, and there's more recent documents too. And then, of course, there's archaeological things. Um, there's a, a major find was made in a town called Dunhuang, which is in the far western part of China at the eastern end of the Silk Road, and they discovered caves there, and in the caves were numerous manuscripts. It was a Buddhist center, but they also have quite a few of Taoist texts, and so we used Dunhuang manuscripts. When the Dunhuang caves were closed in around 1200, and so most of the texts are very old. I know in Judaism and Christianity, there's a lot of argument about text and their authenticity. Is that same argument go on in Taoism with some of these texts you're talking about? Um, yes, we do have um, texts that claim to be older than they really are. It's it's not as bad as in some of the other traditions, but yes, we have that. And we also have um, evidence of editing, so the version of the text that shows up in the canon of the 15th century is maybe quite different from something that you find at Don Juan, and maybe again different from something that is 
cited in an even earlier manuscript, we do have like tomb finds from the Middle Ages, from like the 500s and 600s, and stele inscriptions, and sometimes they refer to texts. And so, yes, you do get um, editing, and you do have to be careful of which text is which, yeah. Not only tangible in the vibrational frequencies of all matter, chi is also strongly present. As a result, the entire universe is humming along in the joining of many different chi sounds. The Zhuangzi accordingly take about three different types. They are the piping of humanity, the sounds people make when they speak and interact, the piping of earth, the sound of nature in all the different places on the planet, and the piping of heaven, the creation of the universe in its diversity through the Tao. The description of the piping of earth is most vivid and also applies to the other forms. The text says, They roar like waves, whistle like arrows, screech, grasp, cry, wail, moan, howl. Those in the lead cry out ye, those behind cry out you. In a gentle breeze they answer faintly, but in a full gale the chorus is gigantic. And when the fierce wind has passed on, then all the hollows are empty again. Have you never seen the tossing and trembling that goes on? Science and the Tao. Even with Zhuangzi's works, there's some argument about the inner chapters versus the outer chapters. Yeah. Can you explain that history and how those two ended up together and how does one read them? The Zhuangzi is a collection of texts um, and it, it contains materials of four different early Taoist schools. One of them is Zhuangzi himself and his followers. And one is a group we call the primitivists who want to go back to Stone Age conditions and a very simple lifestyle who think that all culture is really bad. And then one group we call the hedonists. Um, they think that um, all life should be for pleasure. And if you cultivate yourself, it should be to give you more pleasure rather than to contain your instincts and inclinations. And then there's another one, which is a cosmological school that focuses heavily on um, astronomy and cosmology and seasonal change, things of that sort. And then Zhuangzi himself, who has this ideal of free and easy wandering, which is a more psychological approach to, to living with the Tao. So it's all about how do we get closer to Tao? Do we adopt a lifestyle that's very primitive? Um, do we follow the stars and the seasons? And do we just engage in whatever is pleasurable to us? Or do we contain our instincts but find like a deep-seated kind of happiness that Zhuangzi um, proposes. So you have those um, groups of people. And the inner chapters uh, have been, by most scholars, accepted as the a core teaching of Zhuangzi himself. And then those are seven chapters out of a book that contains a total of 33. And then the very last chapter, number 33, is sort of a general commentary and summary. And then within between chapters 8 and 32, there's, I think, three or four that are primitivist and then three or four that are syncretist or cosmology kind of oriented chapters. 
and then um, a few, another three or four that are into the hedonist pleasure orientation. And the remainder are again Zhuangzi, but more dated a little bit later, like Zhuangzi's followers. Mm -hmm. And so people have done a lot of textual analysis, and there's a certain degree of debate just exactly when the inner chapters were put together. And there, there's no debate that they contain the gist of what Zhuangzi himself thinks. But whether they were actually written by Zhuangzi or whether they were like a Reader's Digest version of it that was put <laughs> together in the later Han Dynasty towards the, about the, you know, a hundred years or so later. Um, there's debate about that. Obviously this would cause a lot of confusion if someone just happened to pick up the book and read it not knowing all these like contradictions do you yeah. do you get asked that a lot about hey why does it say one thing and then yet there are not many people who take who pick up the book and read the whole thing um very commonly what people do is they they, they pick up the book and then they read a story here and they read a story there and they get inspired by it and they say oh this is really cool and then certain parts will not be as inspiring and it so happens that that's by a different school that so people don't really think that way and i don't think they have a lot of problems with I wanted to talk about your company, the Three Pines Press. In 2000, so it's been about 15 years, um, my graduate student um, who was just graduating, James Miller and myself and a few other people decided we needed a publishing company that really focused on Taoism and did not just talk about philosophy but included practice and also ritual and in-depth history and offered good quality translations. And so we started this company, and it's called Three Pines Press, and it publishes about four books every year. Um, I have quite a few of my books um, in Three Pines Press. James Miller has a book. Various of my graduate students have contributed. Other scholars are um, producing and contributing. We do translate books from um, contemporary China, like modern Chinese books on Taoism. We have a few, like three or four, that's been translated. Um, we do practical things. We have a very nice book coming out um, actually in two weeks on January 1st called The Tao of Sustainability, um, which is by an acupuncturist and Taoist practitioner in Minnesota, uh, Gregory Ripley, and he connects um, ecology, how you're cultivating yourself with the Taoist practice through nature and how you're developing um, a greater nature awareness and connect to nature. And as you practice and become whole and healthy yourself through nature, you're also helping the planet because you become more ecologically aware. So it's a very interesting spin on, the, on a very modern Taoist approach. So yeah, so we have translation, we have some philosophy, we have ritual, we have contemporary things. And um, we also publish Every year in February, we bring out a journal. It's called the Journal of Taoist Studies, and it's only once a year. But it's a book-sized journal. It has 250 pages and about 11 or 12 articles and a section on news of the field so you get a sense of what are some of the recent developments in Taoist studies. Can you explain to me what is Taoist Scottish dancing? 
There is no, well, <laughs> I'm a Scottish dancer. It so happens that I enjoy it very much. There's nothing particularly Dallas about it. Okay. Really. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe some uh, uh, lost Chinese travelers ended up in Scotland. The lost Chinese traveler ended up as a bagpipe. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is that, like, when I started Scottish dancing, which was 20-some years ago, um, and they taught me the basic steps, um, it was for me like a fast form of Tai Chi. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of very intricate body-mind coordination, and you, you cannot have any thoughts outside of it. It's the same like in Tai Chi. If your mind just starts wondering, if you're not focused on where you are in the present, you lose your track. You cannot sort of think what are your shopping list while you're doing Tai Chi. It doesn't work. And Scottish dancing is very much like that. There's just absolutely no way. You, you lose your concentration, it's over. But it's, of course, it's interactive, so, and, and you do it to music. Oh, another subject I th you've written on, Cosmos and Community. It's a book came out in 2004. It has a supplement also with another volume, and it's all about Taoist ethics because a lot of people who just come from the philosophical side or even practitioners, they think, oh, Taoist doesn't have any morality and there's no rules and there's no you should and you shouldn't and don't and do's. And the fact is there's like many, 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 like a, well to a hundred texts in the Taoist canon that talk about different rules and regulations. And so this is an analysis and a history and a lot of translation of Taoist um, ethical principles and rules for behavior. I wanted to ask you about my last guest on the, the Dow Dow podcast, uh, Sister Kim, who is also on Three Pines Press. H how did you uh, get hooked up with her? Oh, that's another thing I do. I run um, a series of international conferences. We started that in Boston in 2003, and it brings together practitioners and scholars and people from all over the world. And we usually have like between 150 and 300 people. It happens every year, sometimes every two years. And we had one in Boston a year ago in 2014. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have one this year, but we will be in Taiwan next year. And then after that in 17, we'll be in Paris. So it's in different countries and different places. People volunteer to take on the organization, and I'm sort of the mother and father of this thing. Okay. And I do the uh, registration, and I sort of tell people what is needed. And it's an absolutely spectacular conference. So if anybody wants to come to this, um, there's a website called DallasStudies.org, um, org. Dallas was a D. DallasStudies.org, and they have announcements of conferences. Um, it's James Miller's website. Anybody can come, and it's a lot of fun. We have panels on traditional Taoist um, studies. We have panels on anthropology, contemporary Taoist world, and we have workshops where people do two-hour workshops on meditation and Tai Chi and Taoist kind of practices. So people absolutely, and, and everybody has like, it's this great atmosphere and people all become friends with everybody else. It's a wonderful thing. So Sister Kim came to a Taoist conference and I really don't know when her first one was, but um, that's how we got connected because um, she obviously you know, was teaching Taoist studies and we do get people from Korea every so often.
Human life is the accumulation of chi. Death is its dispersal. After receiving a core potential of primordial chi at birth, people throughout life need to sustain it. They do so by drawing postnatal chi into the body from air and food, as well as from other people through sexual, emotional, mental, and social interaction. But they also lose chi through breathing bad air, overburdening their bodies with food and drink, and getting involved in negative emotions, frustrating thoughts, and excessive sexual or social interactions. It is thus best to keep mentally calm, breathe deeply, and eat moderately in accordance with the season. One should relax in the spirit, move smoothly, exercise without exertion, and match activities to current needs. This is how one helps balance and creates health. As the spring and autumn annals of Master Lu, one wants the skin to be tight, the blood vessels to allow unimpeded motion, the sinew to be firm and the bones hard, the heart, mind, and will to be concordant and the life energies to flow. When this happens, agents of disorder have nowhere to abide and pathology has nowhere to be produced. The abidant of agents of sickness in the origin of pathology, which is blocking the flow of chi. Science in the Tao. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how Taoism has fared under different emperors in Chinese history, uh, the nationalists, the Guomindong, and uh, then the communist. There's essentially in Chinese history, you have dynasties that were um, run by Chinese themselves, and then you have what's called foreign dynasties, and you know about the Manjus who conquered China in 1644, the dynasty before the republic you know about the mongol conquest in um, under genghis khan in the early um, 1200s and then um, in the middle ages there was also some turkish mongolian hun type people who conquered north china and so there's a difference between that um, the invading foreign um, conquerors they come in and now they have, they're very good with their military, but they're really not very good administrators. Mm. Plus there's not as many of them. There's always way, way more Chinese than there are conquerors. So how are they going to go about managing this huge country? And they can't really use the officials of the previous dynasty because they're all traitors, essentially. They will all be loyal to the emperor and they will undermine the conquerors as much as possible. So if you hire these people to bring in the taxes and to manage your country, um, you're going to ask for trouble. So what do they do? They go to the religious organizations in the country and set them up as civil administrators. So when you have the question you're asking, emperors favoring Taoism has nothing to do with religion. Mm. It is all to do with politics. And so the conqueror-type dynasties, both the, the Toba in the Middle Ages, the Mongolians, and then the Manjus didn't do quite that much, but especially the Mongols and, and the Middle Ages people, the Toba, um, they would set up Dallas as full administrators. So the Dallas were running, essentially running the country. And we call it a theocracy 
um, where it's like in order to become an official in that particular period of Chinese history to be a politician and, and an administrator, a bureaucrat, you have to be a Taoist. Um, so, and, and the examinations are geared to Taoism. So that's the conquerors. Now within the Chinese, each emperor may be different. There was a Han emperor called Emperor Wen in the um, early second century BC, who was very favorable of Taoism and his mother was a great follower and chanted the Tao Te Ching on a regular basis. And so you have a particular kind of politics Then you have in the Tang Dynasty, you have an emperor who really loved Taoism. It, it changes from emperor to emperor, but generally, if you have a major persecution or a major elevation, it's politically motivated. There's a big persecution in 845, um, especially against Buddhists, but also against Taoists. Again, it had nothing to do with the religion, it had to do with financial issues. It, it's the monasteries had a lot of metal in their statues, gold and bronze, and the emperor empire was falling apart. There were many local um, warlords that had made themselves semi-independent. And the central government needed money, so they proscribed the religion, raided the monasteries, and melted down the statues. So it has to do with politics. And what about in the 20th century? Well, it's the same story. I mean, again... You know, I mean, there's this um, uh, Shaolin Monastery, which is, of course, a Buddhist institution near the sacred mountain of the center, um, was completely razed and completely destroyed in the 1920s, had absolutely nothing to do with religion, it had to do with some rival faction of the local warlord sort of barricading themselves in a village behind there, and so they just destroyed everything that was in their way, and nothing to do with religion. And so with the communists, it, it, again, it has to do with power. It's, they do not, and, and even today, I mean, religious organizations are, are allowed in a very limited degree as long as they don't get in any form or shape influential or powerful or too independent thinking. If you sort of, you know, you was in that particular box, you're okay. And, and so it's, it's, it has to do with control. Which is ironic with uh, Wu Wei and... Yes, of course. I want to thank Shirley Ann Foster for reading all the Taoist excerpts, all of which are from Dr. Cohn's books. To learn more about Dr. Cohn and Taoism, go to 3pinespress.com. That's spelled out, 3pinespress.com. Also, you might want to check out our previous Tao of Tao podcast with Sister Sunghae Kim on In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, number 41. The In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com.